Hello, friends. It is your host, Allie Porter, here with you once again with some more true crime. So, guys, <laughs> I have had to edit the name of my podcast at this point so many times I can barely remember what it's called. But I have finally landed on a name for this podcast that I enjoy and that is not been used 20,000 times already. So the official name for our podcast here today is going to be called Vicious Villains. And what I'm going to do is just kind of do what I've already been doing. I'm going to discuss some of the most messed up people in the world. And we're going to try our best to find out more about their lives and learn about what makes killers tick and why they do the things that they do so that maybe one day we can stop them from doing it or understand it to a point where we can help them to not want to. Do you know what I mean? So today's episode is about a truly messed up guy. Um, We're going to be talking about Israel Keys today. Now, Israel Keys was, like I said, a pretty messed up dude. He was an American serial killer, rapist, arsonist, burglar, and bank robber. So he was busy. If you guys haven't heard of Israel Keys, um, when I talk about his last victim, that's the one that people tend to remember about this story. And so if you have heard of Israel Keys before, I'm sure you've heard of Samantha Koenig and the things that he did to her which were just awful, and we're going to get to those. But Israel Keyes admitted to violent crimes as early as 1996, and he was born in 1978. So with the violent sexual assault of a teenage girl in Oregon, that was his first really reported crime and the first one that he really kind of admitted to. So Along with that, though, he committed a long series of rapes and murders until he was finally captured in 2012. So he did some pretty messed up stuff before he ended up having to go to jail, obviously. Spoiler alert. So let's kind of get into who Israel Keys was before he turned into, or I guess before he expressed these monstrous tendencies inside of him, because there is a nature versus nurture argument out there. And some people do believe that serial killers or just killers in general are born evil. And some people believe that they become evil over time, which do I believe? I don't know. I kind of think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. I think that the family that you're brought up in does have an effect on who you turn out to be as a person. But I also think that your own decisions, your own environment, your own surroundings also play into that as well. So anyway, Keyes was born in Richmond, Utah in 1978. And he was homeschooled. So he spent a lot of time at home with his family. He didn't socialize a huge amount whenever he was young. And something interesting that I found out when I was researching him. At one point in time, Israel Keys and his family actually were neighbors with a man named Chevy Cahoe. I believe that's how you say it. And if you guys haven't heard of Chevy Cahoe, he was an American white supremacist and convicted murderer. So we have proof that Israel Keys was exposed to some 
pretty messed up people early on in his life. And that, as we know, can play into a damaged psyche, so to speak. And it can influence people to do some pretty bad things. So, he moved around a lot as a kid. He lived in several different places. He would live in an Olympic Peninsula. He would live at the Nia Bay, the Maca Reservation. I mean, he just moved around a lot, just all over Washington, basically. Now, as Israel Keys grew up, he joined the military, and he served in the U.S. Army from 1998 through 2001 at Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, and in Egypt at one point in time. So, in his time in the military, he actually ended up doing well he thrived in that kind of environment and he by the time he got out in 2001 I believe yes he had earned many decorations and awards he had earned the army achievement medal he had earned the army service ribbon the marksman badge an expert infantryman badge and an air assault badge so he really poured himself into the military while he was there and that, I think, plays into part of his psyche as well, even if on a small scale. So I think being in the military can can be, not always, but it can be very hard on the brain. I mean, it's a psychological thing going into the Army or the Navy or any branch of the military. It's hard on you. It's It breaks you and... Not to discredit it in any way because it's an amazing service and we need those men and women out there. But it can be hard, especially for someone who, I don't want to say weak-minded because I don't think he was weak-minded specifically. But I think Israel Keys had this tendency and and this mental illness of some sort. And so I think his time in the military may have exacerbated that. So... Former Army friends of Keyes did note that he had a quiet demeanor and he typically kept to himself. So he didn't socialize a whole lot while he was in the military. He was kind of a loner. On weekends, he would drink heavily, consuming entire bottles of wild turkey bourbon, which was his favorite drink. Guys, a wild turkey will knock you on your ass. Like, I am not a, a bourbon girl. I can't do it. It's a little too hard for me. But... He would consume it by the just truckloads. So he was also into the music group Insane Clown Posse. And for those of you who know who the Insane Clown Posse is, they are some interesting characters. Their music is um, different. (laughs) If you guys haven't heard them before, you can definitely look them up. Their music's out there. It's a little alternative and weird and just not very mainstream, not something that just your average Joe on the street would have heard of. They're a little weird. And he had several different large posters hanging in his barracks of the Insane Clown Posse. So he was like obsessed. He was a true juggalo, if you know what I mean. So after getting out of the military in 2007, he ended up starting his own construction business in Alaska. And Alaska is where he will eventually commit a lot of his crimes. So Keys Construction was the name of his business and he worked as a handyman, a contractor, and a construction worker. So 
this this is a point in his life where we see that Israel Keys does a lot of work with his hands. He knows how to get dirty, if you know what I mean. Like he he's a hands-on type of person, and that does come into play later. So let's kind of get into Israel Keys's crimes. He <clears throat> admitted to investigators that he killed four people in Washington while he lived there. And he claims that they're the subject of an active investigation by the state police and FBI. But I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot of information out there on that. And I'm not sure how credible that really is. But there is no felony criminal record of him in Washington at all. And except for just like, driving without a valid license at one point you know what I mean like little things nothing that would stack up to what he's saying that he did so he did plead guilty to driving under the influence at one point in time and so just like traffic violations things like that and you know lately authorities have been reviewing unsolved murders and missing person cases to determine which cases, if any, may be linked to Keys. So he would admit to a lot of things that may not necessarily be true, but a lot of the things that he did do were also true and bad, 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 bad. He just did some messed up stuff to people. And so it was hard for authorities to kind of determine what he actually did and what he actually didn't do. So, Keyes also confessed to at least one murder in New York State. Authorities have not determined the identity, age, or sex of the victim or when or where the murder may have occurred, but regard the confession as credible. So, they believe he's telling the truth, even though they haven't necessarily found a body. So, Keyes had ties to New York. He owned 10 acres and a rundown cabin in the town of Constable. So, it would make sense for him to have victims in New York because he did have ties there. So he also confessed to committing bank robberies in New York and in Texas. So not only just hurting people, doing bad things to people, but he would rob banks and steal and burglarize and just do all kinds of other messed up stuff too. So the FBI later would confirm that Keyes robbed the community bank branch in Tupper Lake, New York in April of 2009. And he also told authorities that he burglarized a Texas home and set it on fire. So that's where the arson comes into play. Keyes also claimed to have killed a woman in April of 2009 in New Jersey and buried her near Tupper Lake in upstate New York. He admitted to killing Bill and Lorraine Courier of Essex, Vermont. So, I mean, he was getting around, guys. He broke into the courier's home on the night of June 8th and tied them up before driving them to an abandoned farmhouse where he shot Bill before sexually assaulting and strangling Lorraine. And that's just, that's just awful. I mean, it's so weird to me when killers don't have this just extremely messed up beginning in life. Like, killers like Ted Bundy who had a relatively normal childhood and still end up to be these just monstrous villains is just so wild to me. Like I can understand if you have this trauma or these traumatic brain injuries and those things turn you into someone who would commit 
several crimes. Like that I can sort of rationalize in my head. But someone who's had a basically normal-ish life up to adulthood and then they turn into this monster, I just don't get that. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And I think that is the case here with Israel Keys. So, even though he admitted to doing all these terrible things to Bill and Lorraine, their bodies have never been found. And two years prior to their deaths, Keyes admitted that he put a murder kit near their house. And he would later use this to kill them. So, and he would do this more than once. He would anticipate and prepare for killing certain people. And so, when he decided that he was going to do that... He would prepare these murder kits that would just have tools and rope or tape or, you know, whatever he would need for to commit that crime. And he would bury them near their house or wherever it was he planned on taking them after he would abduct them. And it just goes to show that he would premeditate everything. I mean, he planned out everything. He was not a spontaneous killer. He definitely planned to do all the terrible things that he did. And after the murders of Bill and Lorraine, he moved most of the contents of his murder kits to a new hiding place in Parrishville, New York. And they remained there until after his arrest. So he never ended up using that murder kit again, that specific one, after killing Bill and Lorraine. So now we're going to get to Samantha Koenig. And she's really the victim that I really want to focus on today. Um, Her story is so sad to me. And I just feel for her family so much because what Israel Keys does to her is just awful. I mean, and we're going to get into it and I just want to kind of prepare you guys. What Keys does to this girl is just terrible. So please trigger warning. We're going to get into sexual assault and murder and dismemberment and just some just really horrible stuff. So just prepare you guys. So Key's last known victim was 18-year-old Samantha Koenig, and she was a coffee booth employee in Anchorage, Alaska. Key's kidnapped her from her workplace on February 1st of 2012, and he took all of her stuff from her. He took her debit card, all of her property that she had with her, and then he sexually assaulted her, unfortunately, and then killed her the following day. And he didn't tend to to Samantha's body immediately. He left her body in a shed and then actually went on vacation with his family to New Orleans. And he departed on a pre-booked two-week cruise to the Gulf of Mexico. So he was so unbothered by this that he was able to look his family in the eye and go on vacation with them and not give Samantha Koenig a second thought until he returned. So when he got back from his trip... This is what gets me. He snapped a picture of a four-day-old Anchorage Daily News newspaper to make it, to make this picture look official. So, what he did was he prepared Samantha's body. He dressed her. He fixed her hair. He put makeup on her. And he sewed her eyes open so that she could appear alive in a photograph. And the reason why he did this is because he was going to try to attempt to get $30,000 in ransom from Samantha's family. And I just, it always, it just hits me like a brick when I read about Samantha. I just feel so bad for her and my heart goes out to her family 
and anyone who was in Samantha's life because she didn't deserve this. None of his victims deserved anything that happened. But I feel just this great sense of horror when I think about the things that he did to Samantha. It's just terrible. So, and this this murder of Samantha Koenig would, would actually be when he gets to court what he's dealing with the most. So like they charge him with her murder and all these terrible things. And that's what he's really facing time for in the end. But other, other than murder, he was busy doing other things too. An FBI report said keys burglarized 20 to 30 homes across the United States, 20 to 30 different homes, guys, that's 20 or 30 different families, not counting the people that he murdered who were affected by his just craziness. And these, all these robberies took place between 2001 and 2012 when he was apprehended. So 11 years, 11 years of just madness that he wreaked upon his community and just blows my mind. And later on, authorities would actually come to believe that he may be linked to as many as 11 deaths in the U.S., and there might even be more victims outside the country. So they think he might even have has gone so far as Canada or just any other country. They're not sure where he went. He had all this money. He was taking vacations to the Gulf of Mexico. He could have hurt someone while he was there. I mean, police just don't know. He didn't own up to everything. So let's get into um, Israel Key's investigation and arrest. So after the murder of Samantha Koenig, Keyes demanded ransom, like I said, $30,000, and police were able to track withdrawals from the account as he moved through the southwestern U.S. So police were kind of on to him at this point. They were um, closing in, watching his activities, and just keeping an eye on him to see if he would do anything incriminating. And obviously he was because he was withdrawing this ransom money that he just didn't deserve at all. So during this time, in a controversial move, the police refused to release surveillance video of Koenig's abduction. So like I said, um, Israel Keys kidnapped Samantha Koenig from her work. She worked at a coffee shop. And coffee shops have surveillance cameras. They just do most of the time. And police decided not to release this footage. So we don't know what's on it. We don't know what's not on it. You know what I mean? Is Can you see Israel Keys? Can you not? Can you see Samantha? Can you not? We don't know what all's on there because police just won't release it. And they, I understand why police do that sometimes. They try to keep a little bit of information below their belt. So when they conduct their investigation later, they can use this unknown information to fill in the holes of the case and catch the killers in truths and in lies because they have information that the public doesn't have. So I understand that. Um, he was arrested eventually by the Texas Highway Patrol in the parking lot of a Cotton Patch Cafe in Lufkin, Texas. And on the morning of March 13, 2012, after he had again used Koenig's debit card, which he had previously used in New Mexico and Arizona. So he was traveling to several different states using Samantha's money and which is just crazy to me when killers do this because you would think immediately that police are going to be able to track that that's my first thought when I think about the fact that he stole her bank cards police are going to immediately track that so why unless you want to be caught you know what I mean I don't know or maybe he's just stupid who knows 
I don't know. So after he was arrested, he was eventually extradited back to Alaska where he would eventually confess to Koenig's murder. He was represented by an Alaska federal defender named Rich Kurtner. He was indicted in this case and his trial was scheduled to begin in March of 2013. So we know the overview of what Israel Keys has done. Let's kind of talk about the way he would do things, his modus operandi. Keys planned murders long ahead of time. Like I said, he put those murder kits together. He knew what he was going to do. And he would take extraordinary action to avoid detection, except for that debit card use. That just gets me. But anyway, unlike most serial killers, he did not have a victim profile. He usually killed far from home and never in the same area twice. So he was spreading out his crimes, hurting different kinds of people so that the police wouldn't catch him. You know what I mean? He was trying to be smart. Didn't really work out, but he was trying. On his murder trips, he kept his mobile phone turned off and paid for items with cash. He had no connection to any of his victims whatsoever. For the courier murders, he flew to Chicago where he rented a car to drive 1,000 additional miles to Vermont. He then used the murder kit he had hidden two years earlier. Emphasis, two years earlier that murder kit was hidden there. Two years of premeditation. And performed these murders. So, I talked about Ted Bundy earlier. Keyes was actually a fan of Ted Bundy. He liked the way he operated. He thought he was a smart killer. And he wanted to be just like him. And they actually shared several similarities. Both were methodical and felt a possession over their victims. However, there are some notable differences. Bundy's murders were spread throughout the country, mainly because he lived in a lot of different places and not as an intentional effort to avoid detection. So Bundy wasn't really concerned with getting caught. He was just on the move just for his own reasons, and he would just kill wherever he was. So that's kind of one difference between the two. Um, Bundy targeted only attractive young women, while Keyes had no particular type of victim. So we all know, most of us anyway, that Ted Bundy killed young women with dark hair parted down the middle. He had a type. Israel Keys did not. He could kill anyone of any race, any gender, any age. He didn't really care, unfortunately. So when we get to the end of this here, some people are going to be disappointed. Some people may be happy. I'm kind of leaning toward disappointed. We're going to talk about the death of Israel Keyes. So, while being held in jail at the Anchorage Correctional Complex on suspicion of murder, Keyes died by suicide on December 2nd of 2012. And he did this by cutting his wrists and trying to strangle himself. He did leave a suicide note, however, and it was found under his body. And it consisted of a, quote, ode to murder, end quote, but offered no clues about other possible victims. And that, to me, is the most disappointing part of all of this. So, we go through all, well, not we, I didn't do it, I wasn't there, but (laughs) the police go through all this trouble, finally catch this crazy lunatic, lock him up, get ready to start his trial so that justice can be served, and what does he do? 
he takes the cowardly way out by taking his own life and just, I don't know. It's so conflicting for me because does a killer like this deserve to be alive? I don't know. But what I do know is that Samantha's family deserve justice. They deserve a conviction. They deserve a sentence for this man. And he took all of that away from him, from them. And not only did they take, did he take this away from Samantha's family, but he took it away from every other family member of every person that he ever did something terrible to. He didn't leave any other information. I mean, there's so many other crimes that could possibly be linked to Israel Keys. And we'll probably never have enough information or enough proof to tie him to them because when he killed himself, he didn't tell us anything. He died before we could it, could get any information out of him. So that unfortunately is how the story of Israel Keys ends. Um, he never got sentenced. We don't know what he would have gotten sentenced if he would have been sentenced to death or life in prison or less. We just don't know. And it's unfortunate because I feel like death a lot of times in prison is the easy way out, whether it be by suicide or even by the death penalty sometimes. I feel like for certain criminals, it's easier for them to die than to live forever in prison with the guilt of what they've done. And in this case, I would have liked to see Israel Keys actually pay for what he did. And some people will go so far as to say he paid with his life an eye for an eye, but that's just not really how I see it. You guys, of course, are not going to see everything the way that I do, but I just wish that in this case that wouldn't have happened so that Samantha Koenig and several other families all over the world could have some kind of sense of justice from putting this monster behind bars forever. So anyway, guys... That is the story of Israel Keys. I hope you guys are enjoying these podcasts so far. I l- would love to hear from you. Please give me some feedback. Um, tell me what you'd like to hear. Tell me what you don't want to hear. And kind of help me put this podcast together for you guys so you can enjoy it as much as possible. Um, I appreciate all of you for tuning in. I just want to give a big, big thank you to my friends and family who have helped me get this podcast started and kind of get it rolling off the ground. So I'll see you guys soon with another vicious villain and another true crime story. Stay safe out there. Don't get murdered. Don't put yourself in dangerous situations so that we can have some conversations again. Thank you guys so much and have a good one.